This is the Relevant Podcast. It's Friday, March 26, 2021, and it's the Relevant Podcast. Here in Orlando, I'm your host, Cameron Strang, and joining me from Loverland, Virginia, Jesse Carey. Hello, hello. From Nashville, Tennessee, artist, producer, mogul, Grant, two-time Grammy Award winner, Derek Miner. I don't know why you did that. And, okay, sitting in for today, uh, our, our regular Jamie Ivey is out. She's on assignment. I have no idea why she's not on today, but she's not on today. And sitting in from California, uh, author, podcaster, counselor, friend to all, Kristen Howerton. Welcome back. Hey guys, Derek. Am I supposed to sing? Is that what are we? Are you doing a musical intro? Yeah, that that would have been cool, like Family Guy. Right? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I missed I think, it. I missed my moment. Wait, wait, hold on. So you guys are telling me that I've been preparing nonstop for over a week for an all musical episode, including <laughs> new original compositions, <laughs> and that was just a joke. Okay. okay. All right. You want some music? Hit it, Clark. <laughs> All right, you know what that is, everybody. That is the Or Roberts University Golden Eagles fight song. Our what? very own Cinderella story, Jesse and my alma mater in the sweet 16 of the NCAA tournament for the first time since 1974. I don't know what to do with myself. This is the <laughs> only episode where we'll be able to say that we have a school in the sweet 16. And so I'm soaking it in, just FYI. There well, you go. and last week on the show, it was revealed. And I don't, I didn't know. I, I, to be honest, it was just a really busy week. So I didn't get a chance to listen before they went out. And I know we talked about it on air because I had privately texted Cameron that before the tournament started, okay, before March Madness started, I took out, and I'll say, look, I have no qualm. Yeah. Like, no qualm. I have no, I have it's no totally qualms legal. about, yeah, it's, it's sports betting is legal in my state. I downloaded the app, gave me free money, and I, I, I made a little. And then I was like, you know what? I'm going to just pull out a crazy, this is before, and I have the time signature on my yeah, bed slip. It's true. Um, this is before the bracket. This is before selection Sunday. It was right. like two days before after. Right. And I took out a, a, I'm not going to, I'm not going to reveal the amount. I don't want to be. It's a small gauche. amount of money and it was money that you were already given. So this isn't even carry money. This is exactly, this is, this is free money. And, and I put, I put a, a portion of that small amount, uh, into a bet that, uh, was giving me very, very, very long odds that ORU would make the final four. Well, guess who's knocking on the door, everyone? <laughs> like, like a couple of my buddies were texting me because I was like texting around Jesse my will win slip. thousands of dollars if ORU makes the final four and they're two wins away. And I was texting some buddies and they're like, hey, you need to, that needs to be like a scholarship or something. You should, because I, I was like, dude, I went, no, I, went, I, went I was like, I told her, I was like, no, it I was like, dude, I'm, gonna, I'm about to go, I'm about to go viral on like, on sports blogs right now. Cause I'm going to tweet out this bet slip and say, I knew it all along. And my buddy was like, if you do that and you win, you're going to have to give that to the school or to, you know, uh, uh, a scholarship. No. I'm like, what is it going to be? The degenerate alumni fund? Dude. Like, who wants my no. ill-gotten? I don't think my Christian school wants my gambling winnings that I won on their basketball team. Like I don't even know if the NCAA would allow me to donate that. Jesse, I don't know if that would be a violation. <laughs> Jesse, it was going around on Twitter. You aren't the only one who placed this I long shot bet. Somebody put like 
couple hundred bucks or so. I forget what it was, yeah. but if over you mix the final four, this person will win two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Yeah. So yes, not so. alone. Hey, expect a miracle. That's what I've been doing. So so I keep tweeting the expect a miracle, and people think I'm just saying expect a miracle. Expect a miracle is ORU's like saying they have it on their basketball court to expect a miracle. So <laughs> this is the most miracle expectation NCAA tournament that I've ever experienced. Kristen, are, are, have you been watching? Are you a tournament fan? I really feel like you're speaking in Spanish. I don't really understand any of it, but I feel like if you're a basketball team and your your slogan is expect a miracle, yeah. that might say something. Right. It doesn't instill a lot of confidence. It doesn't instill a lot of confidence. Listen, listen, I'm going to say this. ORU has, I don't know what the makeup of the school is, but there's some black granny and aunties praying for this school every game. Dude. There has to be. Hey. Because I'm telling you, they get down to the wire, and then all of a sudden, something happens. I'm like, oh, man. Overtime. You know. At the buzzer. I mean, they've been like five <laughs> games in a row. This has happened. It's crazy. And, it, it, dude, yeah. it is the most racially diverse Christian school you'll ever come across. Like, it's maybe... It's maybe 45% white. So just, it's interesting. It's a really I, I can tell because you know them African angels that, uh, that <laughs> she Pamela called them White down. was trying, Paula White, she <laughs> called them down for ORU. Them African angels is breaking ankles, buddy. Yes. I'm telling hey, you hey, right hey, now. I, I, got, I got really nostalgic. You know, I was really, the whole, watching the, the games on TV and, and, I, and it, it like, my tech, my phone was like blowing up. Oh, blowing on, up. And, and it's a lot of people who I haven't I talked bet. to for a long time that I went to college with. We used to go to games together and everyone's all excited. And I started getting really nostalgic for ORU. <laughs> and ORU is where I first got my my start in, in you know, podcasting. Technically, I had a, a show on KORU briefly. We were forced off the air after, yeah. after our Ooh. prank went awry. But I, and I found a picture. <laughs> I found a picture of me and my co-host for our brief run there. And I was like, oh, man, good old ORU. What was the prank? We were, so <laughs> we didn't have an idea for a show. Like I knew the station director, right? And he was like, hey, do you want to come work at the station? And and you get a little scholarship right. money. Okay. And I'm like, all right. And anything, chip away at the student debt. I'll come work at the station. The station was in the basement of a of an academic building. And so I was I mean, like, like a multi-level basement. Yeah. It's like it, in the like a legit basement. I'm gonna like, I'm gonna find yeah. this picture of <laughs> it is in at the time the world's crappiest studio. And, and I'm gonna send you guys a picture. It looks like a studio that like in an apocalypse movie where the survivors of like you know a zombie holocaust they're, they're like fifty years ago like, found an abandoned yeah. studio yeah. and that's what they're gonna try to like. Okay, humanity, right. come out here to Atlanta or whatever. Uh-huh. So that's what the studio is like. But uh, the reason we got kicked off, Derek, is because I was like, hey, man, I got a buddy of mine. I was like, hey, his name is John. I was, and I was like, John, hey, we should start a radio show. He's like, what's it about? I was like, I don't know, man. Let's just go and turn the mics on and start talking. Let's just goof. And so we started doing that, and we realized we had nothing to talk about. We really should have prepared. So we had an idea of telling people that we were going to start doing like celebrity interviews. And so we did an interview with this guy who in Tulsa is a pretty known figure. He goes by the name Biker Fox. And he's this dude who's got this crazy, like, Skullet, right? So he's kind of like bald on top, but it goes this curly mullet. That's called a skullet? 
Yeah, when the guy says bald on top, like Hulk Hogan had a skull. Skullet. Okay. Ah, Classic skullet. I didn't know Classic that. skullet. Yeah. But he, okay. but he wears like, right, he wears right, like biking right. outfits everywhere. And his thing is he rides in the middle of intersections of like big stoplights and does like lame mountain bike tricks right in the middle and then rides off waving to everybody. He's like a local celebrity. So we told people who were going to start doing celebrity interviews and we had Biker Fox on and for a full two hours, got his whole story. Pretty wild stuff. That, that alone... With some shocking revelations <laughs> that could have got us kicked off the air. Thankfully, no one in administration was listening. But when we got in trouble is when we said we have bigger celebrity interviews coming. And this is this, this is how long ago this was. In the studio was an old like white pages, like a phone book that had like, you know, you could look up people's names and it would have phone, which is a crazy yeah. concept right now, by the way. Like uh, we used to get books yeah. in the mail that had everybody's names and phone numbers and addresses in them. Anyway, yeah. so so we were like, hey, let's tell people. That's true. So we just started. Yeah, it's crazy. Bizarre. But we would go in and we would just look up famous people's names to find out if there was like a Larry Bird who lived in Tulsa. And so we would call people. So they like we would call someone in Tulsa that we found in the phone book named Jesse, Larry Bird. No. And we would start it, as soon as they answered, <laughs> we acted like the celebrity. We're like, all right, ladies and gentlemen, he's on Larry Bird. Larry, welcome to the show. And he's like, what? Who is this? Hey, listen. Oh so I want to ask you about something in the playoffs against the, the and he's like, what? who is this? And then we would just call the next person and we'd have all these celebrity <laughs> interviews. Oh my god! The school decided Bro. that the school decided that wasn't the best look in the community, and pulled that the plug, is amazing. But- Your school with some haters, because I, I hope they lose. I I hope they lose. I was editor of the school paper and got fired. So, like, I we have that in common. <laughs> what did you do? Scandals. I, well, I I was sports editor one year, and it was Bill Self, who is now the coach at Kansas, the famous basketball right. coach, was our basketball coach. And so right. I, I, I work closely with Bill Self. It's like really cool. It's a good era. It's a fun era. And then the next year I was an editor of the whole paper. And so I, the, the advisor was an idiot. He just was, he just, it was a terribly run paper. Everything was wrong. And so I just blew it up. I just disregarded everything he had built and just started over. And he just didn't like me at all. And we won like 12 college AP awards that year. We put together an amazing publication. And and then at the end of the year, he was like, thank you. We won't be needing your services any longer. And he, he, he pushed oh, me out. Man. But it was all right. Whatever. I didn't I do sent, anything tangibly. I just, just sent you like guys. Me. I just sent you guys a link to a picture of the studio. I just saw uh, it, bro. You were very dude, bro-ish. Uh-huh. I know. And, and it's actually, yeah, I was, it's regrettable looking back. And I, I, <laughs> My arm is in a cast in that picture, and I broke that arm in the most dude broish way possible. Literally playing oh, no. ultimate frisbee, and uh, Jesse, <laughs> you know that's what the college experience all about. I was Jesse. I was going through. That's I, great. I found a bunch of my old ORU stuff the other day, and uh, like the foam finger, like go golden eagles and stuff like that that I, I just had in a box somewhere. And I found the brochure of when I ran for student body president. And there were three candidates and I came in a distant third. I have that brochure. Um, I also found a lot of the, the papers that we did. And I found one when I was a sports editor. And apparently I wrote an article after our women's basketball team played Cameron University. And we crushed them. I wrote the headline, Oh, are you women? Roll over Cameron. And I just was very, very proud of that headline. And I, and I saved it that the ORU women roll over Cameron. So. When I worked at the school paper, it was under such heavy censorship. That the biggest story. I think it was I because of wrote. my year. After that, yeah. they just clamped down and, on everything. And there was a very low level of trust in me <laughs> allowed to any media. Do you know the biggest story I got to write when I was editor? And look, I'm not. I'm. 
I've gone on to, uh, yeah. you know, a career in this field. Career. Yes. <laughs> so, so, but I got restricted at the paper. The biggest story I ever had, and my mom, this is embarrassing, my mom kept it like the student paper and i found it in the attic i'm like this is sad this is the only story i have that was really of note it was because a subway with a drive-through open three blocks from campus and they wanted me to go cover this <laughs> the opening it was such a revolutionary idea they're like hey listen there's a subway opening i'm like okay they're like hey you're not gonna believe it. it's got a drive-through have you ever heard of it? a drive-through subway i'm like okay they're like we want you to go down there if that's your story oh I'm my like, gosh that's my big scoop. And your sweet a, mom a, saved it because she's so proud of her little Jesse getting published. A subway three blocks away from the campus with the drive-thru. I had to go interview the manager. And I was like, all right, I guess we're talking about this drive-thru. How is it when they can't see the ingredients? You get a lot of uh, people forget what's at the little uh, vegetable trays there. How's this whole transaction working? You well, know, we are journalism. very, I, I haven't thought about ORU in, in years and years. And, and all of a sudden they're on the national stage and it probably, they probably won't be after Saturday night. So we're going to soak it in everybody. And <laughs> hey, don't say that, man, bro. They, they took out, so was Ohio State. Number and two, Ohio Florida? State, number seven, Florida. Like, like, like come on, man. Like, yeah. like at this point. Go you knock it. out those two teams. You got to say like, these guys got something special. Hey, Kristen, where, where did, where did you go to college? Well, I went to Cincinnati Bible College, um, which, you know, I think it might have actually been stricter than Oral Roberts. It's hard. It's hard to say. But we were not allowed. We were not allowed to dance. We were not allowed to play cards. We weren't either. Um, When I was there, it was way stricter when I was there than when Jesse was there. When I was there, you you couldn't play cards. No, no. Those were of the devil. Apparently you could, you know, guys had to have short haircuts. Guys couldn't have piercings. No one could have tattoos. Oh, are you guys had to wear ties to class when I was a student? Ties. We had to wear ties. The boys had to wear ties to class on chapel day. Okay. And then there was a very strict dress code. And I came from Florida where we wear whatever, you right. know. Oh, tell you, I'm, you, know. you don't want to see what's under the screen right now. Yeah. I mean, Florida, right. we're just shoes optional, you know. And I got dress coded just about every day at that Bible college. <laughs> it was, it was not good. Did, uh, at ORU and in my era, girls had to wear skirts to class. We like, did too. Yeah, we did okay. too. We were not there allowed to wear shorts on campus mm. ever. Now, what I'm describing is not at all what ORU is now. Yeah. Like they, they've like got rid of that whole era uh, shortly after Jesse graduated. But uh, yeah, I, I, was, I have I have a question about Cincinnati Bible College. If you were to get in trouble. Yes. What would the what would their means of being because at ORU at ORU it's like what you know two things they they were gonna fine you fifty dollars fifty dollars they say the wages uh of sin is fifty dollars and then what was the other thing get campus or you get campus which is basically it's jail it's you're not allowed to leave your dorm and I suffered both indignities all the time (laughs) in fact one of my buddies was like dude you should start a fifty dollar fund a fifty dollar fine fund with my gambling winnings. (laughs) And if a student has a $50 fine that they feel like they receive for something hilarious, they will send it to me and I will review Dude, the prank. That's what you should do. I'll review the prank. And if it's worthy, I will pay their $50 fine with my <laughs> ill-gotten gambling money from the ORU mentor. I love Which it. I'm Do sure it. gambling is probably against the rules as well. That's why I'm saying I don't even know if the school would accept the money. Probably like, not. Derek, yeah. where'd you go to college? Middle Tennessee State University. Oh, you went to Middle Tennessee. So that's a great school. Yeah, so I, yeah, I don't know nothing about yeah getting campus. 
Yeah, MTSU was just it was fun. We'll just put it that way. It was a pretty fun school. It's definitely <laughs> I went I went out to that I went out to your campus a bunch of times when I was living in Nashville just to go to just like shows and stuff, you know, because like yeah. bands were there are good concerts out there, you know. Yeah. Absolutely. Nah, it was a Definitely a good experience. I definitely enjoyed Middle Tennessee State. Would, would well, you consider, yeah. do you, you know, because I get I get hit up all the time from like just like alumni stuff, and, and at this point, uh-huh. I think I've I think I've made a couple of small donate, nothing, you know, anything noteworthy. But if do you guys feel compelled, like Derek with Middle Tennessee State or it, it, with Cincinnati Bible College, if when they hit you up, are you guys do you have that sense of pride, like I got to support this place, or are you just kind of like, no. oh, it was fun. They're making millions of dollars. Like talking about donations, they're, they're making they're, they're making a lot of money. They're making more than me. Like no, they need to be donating to me. Like that's how I feel. But you know, I rock with the Blue Raiders. But yeah. you know, hey man, I'm not donating. I, I gave no, back. I served on uh, uh, the board of trustees at ORU for five years. Uh, not not that long that's, ago, but that's dope. I would not give money to my previous Bible college. I mean, they're defunct now anyway, but it was just, they were a little bit toxic. I, I, I don't think they would want my money. I think we all, we parted ways. I ended up leaving. I got an associates and ended up transferring to a university. But yeah, I think we, we broke up. We weren't on good terms. Yeah. Aww. yeah that's funny. <laughs> that was like me in my high school. Yeah. Like college, we were fine. But high school, yeah. I think it was, it was, all right, you know, it was a Peter Paul situation. You go that way, I yep. go this way. This is a, yep. this is a divide that we're not bridging here. Yes. You know? I'm, yeah. I'm happy to see the changes that are you from when I was there. Cause like after I graduated, I wasn't bitter or anything, but I just didn't ever look in the rearview mirror. You know what I mean? But yeah. then like 10 years later, major, major changes happened for the better. And the student experience now, I'm happy for them because like I see clips Mm. like they're showing clips on ESPN and stuff like that of like the students watching these NCAA games and like they're playing music and they're line dancing and they're just having a great time. They're having the best time. And I'm going line dancing. I'm like literally watching it going. This is like endorsed dancing when I was there out of Eden came and had a concert and they shut it down after three (laughs) songs because people were dancing at the out of Eden concert. And I'm like, how do you have it in an R&B pop concert? Not expecting, what are we supposed to stand there stoically? Come on now. Mm -hmm. Anyway. Yeah. It's a different era. Mm -hmm. I'm happy for him. So look at that. Hey, to all you conservative Christian schools, we, all your rules and all your oppression, look (laughs) at your success in the NCAA tournament. It's not happening. Look at ORU. They loosened up and God's blessing them. So you need to just, and and look, the last time, the last time ORU, the last time ORU was in the tournament, like made it, you know, to even close as far as like the 1970s. 1974, Jesse. And dude, the seventies, like at the, 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 where the basketball team plays, Evidently, it was like the only place in, in all of Oklahoma that bands could come play. And ORU was just cool with it at the time. I was reading like a list of people who played there. It's like Elvis. That would never happen today. Elvis Kiss. played on ORU's yeah. campus. Kiss. Yeah. Kiss yeah. would never Cash. happen today. Yeah. I'm like, dude, ORU in the 70s sounds like Righteous Gemstones awesome. Like yeah. they bring, like they'll bring in <laughs> literally a band that is an- antithetical to everything they believe if the price is right and just let them rock out <laughs> on campus. That is my <laughs> kind of Christian school. Well, we have a great show in store for you today. Coming up later, we talk to one of our favorite artists, Dante Bo. He, you may know his solo stuff, but you also may know him from Maverick City Music. He has a brand new album out today. It's called Circles. It's incredible. We talked to him about it. Stay tuned for that. Um, we also have relevant news. There's some big stories this week. This week's Relevant recommends a very special. I'm expecting a miracle with this segment. What's Jesse thinking is coming up later. Stay tuned right now 
Up next, it's Slices. Listening to Prom, the song is Tearing Me Apart. Well, today's show is brought to you by Upper Room. There are some daily comforts that just make you grateful and feel more grounded in life, like petting the dog, hitting that snooze button, and of course, that first cup of coffee. These are things you count on every day to help you get where you want to go. Things like the Upper Room Daily Devotional Guide. You can count on the Upper Room for daily inspiration, daily community, and daily prayer. It's the only daily devotional magazine written by readers, ordinary people, people who have encountered God in daily situations. The Upper Room is here for you every day through your email, a custom app, or printed magazine. You can enjoy a free 30-day trial of their email or app services by visiting upperroom.org slash welcome. That's U-P-P-E-R, Upper Room, R-O-O-M org slash welcome to get your first 30 days for free. Okay, it's time for Slices. What do you have, Jesse? All right, I got I got a twofer and I'll make them both quick. But first, <laughs> you know, politics in this country is always very interesting to me, especially like what measures actually get brought up for votes in states. You know, like this is what the most important people in the state are spending time thinking about, hmm. you know, and, and discussing and debating. And I love that sometimes weird laws get get proposed. And like these people who have these big fancy law degrees or whatever, you know, have to sit there and talk about the implications of the law. And the good news is <laughs> the good news is you're laughing a, and I have no idea what you're talking about yet. So a major <laughs> law, a major law just passed in Maine that was very vetoed and then brought back and reintroduced again because these people have had to talk about this a long time and it is the legality of holding a viking funeral in the state of maine (laughs) 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 wait like in braveheart where they float you out and shoot flaming arrows at you (laughs) outdoor so for a long time I, i guess a pretty passionate sect of voters uh, have been wanting outdoor cremations to be legalized to do ritualistic what? to do ritualistic funerals. And the governor at the time when this first went through vetoed it. And he's like, look, you can't have we can't. I mean, I'm paraphrasing here. He said something more diplomatic, something about, you know, the sacredness of burying our loved ones. But he's basically like, look, I can't have people just burning dead people in the state. Like, I don't want to be I don't want to be Maine, the Viking funeral state. Like, that's not a great look. <laughs> We burn, we burn people here, literally, but they, they came up with some regulations and and ways to do it safely. Actually, evidently it's environmentally the, the, the best way to, you know, it's not, haven't you heard? I heard, I don't, you know, the afternoon stuff on NPR is like really random topic conversation. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I heard the other day they were talking about like the changing death industry because there's a generation of people now getting old enough to die that care about the environment and that they're they don't you know because of the limited space of land or whatever they they're you know a lot of people lean toward cremation but that the cremation industry is actually really bad for the environment because all the smoke and fire and stuff yeah but this is no chemicals this is old school there's a trend they're saying a trend toward what they're calling organic cremation what does that involve 
just letting the body rot and get eaten by worms. Just, okay. Okay. Where, okay. So, where, so, where, where, where at though? I don't know. You just yeah, dump them in a pile. Legal? I don't know. Yeah, I'm saying they're legal? talking about it. They're advocating for it now. Like it's better than burning because all the smoke. Listen, no, I don't, I don't, I don't not, know. I'm not entirely sure how like the water table works, but I'm pretty sure you can't just, you know, dig a hole out back and, you know, for grandma. Yeah. But either way, because I've already determined that like it's looking like all that to say it's looking like my funeral will be held one day in the state in Maine. of Maine because yeah. I've told people that you just, that's to- the way you want to go out. I told pe- style. I told people here's who this is what will here's who gets my stuff. Jesse, what if what if no what if nobody hits you? What if you just float so far that no airs can get you? It could be a long day. But here's how everyone gets my stuff. I'm pushed out there, you know, in in, in entombed in 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 flowers or whatever, you know? And then everyone all at the funeral gets a bow and arrow with flaming arrows. First one that hits me gets everything. You know, it's a per or or I'm going to do like one of those where I heard about those. I don't, think, I don't think your kids would appreciate that. FYI, that like some random friend hit hit dad. And now I get nothing. It's the Viking way. It's the Viking way. You know, it's 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 a way to encourage barksmanship. And early age. <laughs> OK, uh, OK, uh, a real one, a real uh, I thought this was really interesting. I'm not going to get into all the details because it's kind of a, a, a long story, but there's a man named uh, uh, James Huntsman. If the name sounds familiar, he's actually the brother of the former governor of Utah, John Huntsman. He's a pretty prominent uh, citizen of the state of Utah himself. And he uh, be, he has uh, sued the LDS church uh, in because he wants to recover millions of dollars in tithes that he gave to them because uh, he has okay. made the determination that the church isn't being honest about what his tithes have been used for, so he wants them all back. <laughs> a whistleblower, <Die>. a whistleblower <laughs> within the LDS church re- recently made allegations, I should say the LDS church has adamantly denied these allegations, that uh, the that the church for the uninformed has, LDS is Latter Day Saints. That's Mormon. It's Mormon. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. Uh, and that's sort of their preferred nomenclature. Um, but yeah, most people casually know them as Mormons. But the the LDS Church, according to these allegations, is sitting on about a hundred billion dollars that uh, they've kind of designated as sort of rainy day money. But the allegations are that a lot of this money that they've sort of been hoarding from from tithes is either they're sitting on it or they're pumping into failing businesses that are associated with the church. So they're using tithe money to try to prop up businesses specifically in in utah real estate um now all of that is sort of interesting but but either way when when this man said he was giving these donations he was under the impression that they would go to help the poor and the work of the church and overseas mission efforts but he says because they're evidently using them or allegedly using them for something else he wants it all back the reason i thought this was so interesting is i don't really care about sort of the financial you know nuances of the lds investments but i do think it would be a really interesting precedent yeah. if he sues the church for his millions and gets them back because think oh, about man. any because the if tithe this guy, refund precedents yes. yeah, okay so think about this i mean but think about 
That's exactly. trouble, because let's buddy. say let's say it's a mega church, and you know the the pastor is a well known figure who has some sort of moral failing. And what never? And, and the church and their work is instantly discredited. I think you could make some sort of legal. Now, in this case, the guy's claiming fraud. But yeah. if you could say, hey, they didn't live up to their end of the deal. I gave them money on the assumption that they would maintain some sort of moral standard and they didn't. Would it create a precedent? So my, my question for you guys is this. What do you think this precedent could do? And if it goes through, do you think it would encourage churches to be more transparent about their finances? If they knew, it could be possible they could be sued for their giving there's, tithes There's back. no contract and nobody took your money. You gave the money. You gave it. Yeah, I mean, it's a donation. So but, but this guy's claiming fraud. He, so he is it said, bad that I now have a Google Doc open and I'm starting a list of churches that I would like a refund from? Is that <laughs> bad? No, I mean, I, I agree. I, I think, you know, you... I, I don't know about that. It's not a business deal. You know it's I mean? not a business deal. It's a donation. But, yeah. But, but he's saying he, he, the, the, it was fraudulent because it, you know, essentially it was a verbal contract. They, they but, said, at the, but at the same time, the hundred billion, that's called an endowment. Every nonprofit university, Christian university ministry has an endowment. And those endowments aren't like Scrooge McDuck sitting in a vault. They're, they're investments. And those, that money then, gets invested into businesses and things to then make more money back. So like you put it in stocks and then, oh, the stock market goes down. Oh no, you you wasted my money, fraud. I mean, that's not, it's an endowment. They invest in businesses like real estate and others. It's just, that's how it, well, it works. I mean, according to the lawsuit, he said that the global church, quote, repeatedly and publicly lied about the use of billions of dollars in members donations solicited to pay for missionary work, building temples and other educational and charitable work. But think about it. So the donations go into the endowment. The endowment gets invested to then increase the revenue of the endowment. And then out of the spillover, it goes to the work of the church. He's mm. mad that it goes in the medium time into business investment to increase in value to then go out. Like he wants to just go directly out. But the church is actually being smart. They're taking a parable of the talents. I don't know if the Mormons believe in that that book of the Bible, uh, but <laughs> the parable of the talents, you don't bury it. You go invest it and increase it. And God blesses it. And it can have his hundred million, his hundred dollars can have more impact than a hundred dollars. You know, he just doesn't. I just don't think he understands. Like, you know what I mean? It just sounds like but, he doesn't understand. But devil's advocates, because some of go. this money went to businesses and investments that were failing. Yeah, and but that's... An investment is a risk. Stock market yeah, goes up, yeah. goes down. I mean. But I think I think what the interesting precedent precedent that could be established here is how much transparency does a church need to to give its donors when it's soliciting donations? Because mm. right now it's pretty much the wild west. Mm. Like if I went up in the pulpit in church and just asked people to give me money and I said it was for something and I did something else with it. I don't know if there's any way to hold me accountable legally. If I could just, Man, that's defraud, a good point. If I could just, I, I like. But is there I anything? Grew, I grew up in a church where, in the back of our Sunday bulletin, they printed that week's mm -hmm. all the finances, what last week's tithes were, where every line item yeah. in the budget was, if we're above or below, and then, I mean, it's on our church website what the pastor salary but, but, but was. But everything. even hypothetically, even if hypothetically, if if they had printed uh, inflated or deflated figures within the bulletin or the website. It, that's not a legal document. It, it, is that fraud? You know what I'm saying? Like, well, where our, is the our church had an annual audit that was available to the congregation? Yeah. So, 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 that, so we that's were audited. A, yeah. But, but what I'm saying is, like, there. 
there is no real legal line for holding accountable for the solicitation of these types of donations. And yeah, even if this doesn't, you know, like the church seems to, the LDS church seems pretty confident that, you know, they're not going to have to refund these tides. But the fact that this person's doing it is enough to as something I feel like it's probably good to keep an eye on because if it breaks one way, this could have significant implications in terms of legal precedent for other civil cases against religious institutions. I, I do think nonprofits have to have to disclose their finances. I mean, Charity Navigator. I thought so, too. Yeah. I thought there was some required visibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there, there maybe, is. Yeah. There, I know there is, but I also know that uh, there can be some degrees of ambiguity about those disclosures. You know what I mean? And deceit, of course. Yeah. Yeah. And what what if a donor doesn't take the time to read the audit and and I go to an event? Well, if the the guy is this worked up about where the money goes, then you should read the audit before you file a lawsuit. (laughs) You know, I mean, he could have saved himself some publicity here. (laughs) But also, like, I'm not even Mormon and I know that they like take money and invest it in businesses like and I I'm not even in that world. So, I, you know, I don't think that all of this could have been that much of a surprise. Yeah, it just seems to me like this guy's just confused. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway. All right. What do you have, Kristen? Okay. So in the New York Times, there was a recent study that indicated that we have collectively gained about two pounds a month during the pandemic. And I feel attacked by this. Not collectively. I think everybody, (laughs) like, I don't think everybody has only gained two pounds. I read this. Two pounds a month. No, I, yeah. I know, but collectively means we all added up to two oh, pounds. Yes. Like, no, no. Yes. every person every on average person. has gained two pounds a month. a month. I read, I read over the last year since COVID quarantine started, it was like the average person has gained twenty pounds. Oh my word! Oh it's, man! But it's real. It's real. I mean, it, <laughs> our house. We, you know, we have been comfort eating a lot more. We've been baking. I and you know what? What feels. <laughs> the most um, frustrating to me is like, we've all been living in, I I have been living in elastic waist pants and the real trauma of the pandemic is like trying to put those jeans back on a few months in like, Oh, okay. Mm. I don't have pants now. I guess I'll just keep wearing these (laughs) leggings because all my jeans don't fit. I I don't know what it is about just like sitting in my mind. I'm like, dude, if I'm just hanging at home, Right. I, I And I have no social obligations. Yeah. I'll be the best shape of my life because I'm not going to be eating out every night. I'm not going to be, you know, going to lunches. I'll have a lot of time to work out. It it goes the it, the total opposite happens. It's like that's crazy. You know, have you guys noticed any difference in the last nah, year? Not not for me. Really? I'm pretty. Yeah, I'm pretty much the same size. Um, I'm actually trying to just get better. I'm trying to eat more healthy and get down to music video shape because we're getting ready to start rolling out like promo. So like that's kind of what happens is, you know, it's almost like a football player or a basketball player. Like in the off season, you kind of, but then when the season starts, you kind of get it together. So you got the James Harden, you got the James Harden come back looking a little little puffy, a little thick. I'm not, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to have the squirrel cheeks in the videos. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) No, no, yeah, I kind of went the the first couple months. I, I I had my wake up call of like, all right, I got to get it together here because this could be, you know, this this is it's so easy just to kind of hang out and order pee, and then and then like early on in the pandemic, I was using this as an excuse. I was like, hey man. 
I got to support these local businesses out here <laughs> oh, delivering. Yeah. Dude, totally. I was Uber eating everything. Yeah, I got I order. I was ordering at my favorite restaurants. I'm like, I got to keep them in business, man. I've got to place a gigantic order again tonight. <laughs> yeah. All I know is my whole family is a little fluffier, and I will say this too: my white children have turned translucent. In the pandemic, <laughs> like just the la- like I thought that I had two blonde girls. Well, the lack of sun now they just have brown hair and their skin is see through. That is so funny. Yeah, I've, it's officially pool weather here in Florida. So the last two weekends I've been floating for hours and hours and hours trying to get that anti, you know. Get a little after, melanin after back. Court. Yeah, exactly. Get some vitamin D going. Yeah, that's funny. That It's actually kind of good to hear that like the average American has gained 20 pounds because then we all are in this together, right? Yeah. You know, so it's not just you. Uh, but man, that's crazy. I So I guess what we're saying, Derek, uh, you need to open up your portfolio and invest in some fitness stocks because a lot of people are going to probably be trying to get back hey, on the... You know I got I mean? Peloton. I got Peloton. Hey, yeah, that's a good Do one. you? Yeah, are, are, yeah. Do you do you do you do it pretty consistently? No, 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 no. The no, stock. The stock. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. <laughs> I, thought, I was like, oh, you got to do it for you, man. I got the stock. Nah, but I, I told my wife I might grab a, I might grab the bike though, for real. I just, I'm still, I, I think it's a dope thing to be able to have people like hold you accountable, like literally on the bike. Like Peloton changed the game with that, so uh, I, I definitely. You know, plan on grabbing a bike. The, but, I, know, I read a review. My account set up. I, I have Nordic Track stuff here, which has the iFit trainers yeah. and like uh-huh. you can do all the things and it they control the machine, all that stuff. But they have a new bike out that's supposed to compete with Peloton. And and the I, I read an article kind of breaking down the two of them. And the thing that Peloton tapped into isn't just the trainer experience, class experience but the social experience because so many people have Pelotons now Mm -hmm. that your friends are there and you actually have this very like interactive ranking with your like group of friends and stuff. It's like the Nike run app and stuff like that. You get a Mm -hmm. little crew of friends, you know, and all that. Yeah. It's like, that's what Peloton tapped into. And so the other brands can't get that like momentum Mm -hmm. to get enough customers to like do that. So they're out in the front. Peloton's going to stay there. That's a good investment. I scooped up Nike. I sco- I, I'm telling you, America is going to want to shed that 20 and they're going to go out there and like invest. Right. You know what I mean? It's true. When we have to see each other again. We're all, it's going to get real. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, see, real. see, I, I, I double down on Wrangler because they got a good sweatpant line. Uh, they got that Husky market <laughs> down. Husky. Elastic waists. Uh, I got, yep. I got, I got a lot of in the elastic industry right now. <laughs> a t- tremendous amount of stock for well, for wa- for the waistband for big waistband. I wanted to bring an incredible investment and business opportunity. You guys, it's called Lularoe, and do you guys want to work from home? Who wants to own their own business? I have some brochures. Let me ask well, you something. I'll, can email, I, I'll email you guys about it. Can it, would it be okay if I buy a significant amount of inventory and just keep it at my house? Sure. And, and then maybe set up like sure. maybe I'll buy like a trailer or something and paint it like I'm associated with this company and have little sales by the side of the road. Do you listen? Think that I can get you in with a minimum investment of ten thousand dollars. Okay. And and just tell me, I'm going to need to move You're just some money around to buy about two thousand pairs of leggings. Hey, keep I'm, in, I'm in. It's pending some litigation with a former church. I <laughs> okay. might be on board with you. I, I literally, I literally like on uh, Instagram and stuff. I don't follow anybody who does what you're talking about. Right. So I know that that MLM 
thing, influencer thing exists. I just don't see it ever. But the other, in the last week or so, I started like watching more reels, their, their TikTok thing. Mm-hmm. And you just kind of like browse people you're not following. It's just like, da, da, yeah. da, da, da. it is 90% what you're talking about. It is, is like, it? it's either people doing TikTok dances or it's, you know, middle-aged women going, Hey, I'm an on, you know, I'm a successful entrepreneur and I'm you can be like me and they, they pitch it. And it's like, I'm white. <laughs> I, I, I have been, it is so mesmerizing. It is fascinating to me. And it's like huge, crazy. Anyway. There's a great podcast called the dream and season one does a deep dive in the MLM industry. If people are interested in kind of sort of the insidious nature, speaking of Utah and, and the LD and, yeah. and its connections there. Yeah. Fascinating deep dive. If you're, if you're looking for like, it's like a docu-series. Uh, it's, it's hearty endorse, endorsement from me. Cool. All right. What do you have, Derek? All right. So, you know, there's this uh, scripture talks about in Revelation, about what's going to happen at the end of the world. Okay. You know, at the end of the world, it talks about how like, uh, the moon was going to turn to blood and the mm-hmm. sun was going to be blotted out, right? All Red those things. Rising, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, there's an experiment that's about to go on in June where they're going to uh, chunk about 12 kilograms of chalk into the sky looking to kind of darken the sun in, a, uh, in an attempt to try to help with global warming. What? Uh, the idea is they want to dim the sun. Oh, and guess who's the... Uh, Who's one of the financiers of this project? This isn't going to be good. This is this is going to really help out QAnon and, and our conservative Christians. Your man, Bill Gates. Yep. Right? But- <laughs> yep. There's going to be some strongly worded <laughs> Facebook posts about this. Oh, no. Buddy. So, I, I Bill kid Gates you not, is so- trying to blot out the sun to help with global warming. Yeah. And it's going to turn he's, red. So I guess he's working with Harvard. And is- the, the idea is they're going to shoot 12 balloons of chalk over Sweden and start studying this way. So they shoot it up there. The chalk's going to dim the sun over the area. Then they're going to check it out. So experts are saying the obvious thing. Hey, guys, we don't know what's going to happen if you put all this chalk in the atmosphere with the weather pattern. So (laughs) probably not really worth it. Uh, But... It's probably going to happen in June. So, and and, and who's who's Bill Gates's PR guy or girl or who? Right. It has to be on purpose at this point. Because, I'm convinced because, because oh. like, you know you know a couple years ago, a couple years ago, he was like, "All right, I'm going to you know I made all this money. I'm just like this kind of nerdy guy who was selling computers. And you know what? I'm going to do something crazy. I'm going to publicly pledge to give it all away. I'm going to create a foundation to eradicate diseases. <laughs> hey, totally I will, safe. I will tell you from per- firsthand experience, the Gates Foundation is doing amazing work. I've gone to their summit several years in a row. I've been involved with their work. The Gates Foundation is making a difference. Yeah. What Bill Gates is now kind of playing with is not their core mission. I'm just telling you <laughs> but, that. But, okay. but what I'm saying is even when he was just inoculating impoverished communities, yeah. people were like, ah, it's Bill Gates. You know what? Bill Gates in his mind's probably like, everyone's going to love me. And, yeah. and people are like, you're literally the devil. And totally. every time he tries to do something cool, people are like, <laughs> no, he's definitely the devil. He's definitely. He, wait, wait, wait. Vaccines for a pandemic? Definitely helping yeah. poor kids. I'm going to take the Bill Gates vaccine. Yeah. Hey, and Bill Gates keeps and Bill Gates in his mind. Just like, hey, listen, I know I keep losing them. I'll get them with the next one. I promise I'll win everybody. Back. <laughs> Blood out the sun. Listen, I'll fix global warming with chalk. Yeah. Listen, this this is going then. to be the most 
epic like Facebook yeah. conspiracy like, cons- of the decade in June when this pops off. Mm-hmm. I'm going to download Facebook again and just just to just watch. Hey, all right, but here's my advice for anyone who's concerned about this, okay? Or it's like, it has your Bill Gates conspiracies. Go counterintuitive here. Just post, Bill Gates is actually a pretty great dude. Once Bill <laughs> Gates starts seeing these, he's going to tap back. He's going to be like, oh, you know what? I'm there. I'm appreciated. I'm loved. I don't need to shoot chalk in the sky anymore. People actually love me. As long as these people keep calling him out, he's going to keep and the stakes the man affection the guy could cure cancer and people would be like he's satan he's right, satan yeah. still he's put, like he may he take out win. cancer but he's gonna put something else in you like right a chip. what yeah yeah what what's yeah. gonna happen uh derek another investment tip uh i would invest in cleaning services and swiffer specifically with european distribution over sweden because there's gonna be 12 kilograms mm-hmm. of dust Hey, we're going to need a lot of Swiffers, dog. That's what I'm saying. Invest in it. It's going to be a boom. It's going to be a run on Swiffer. Invest now. Hey, invest in chalk. I don't even know what chalk is. If I were to be like, hey, I need to invest in chalk, I wouldn't even know who to call. Like, if I need to go buy, if someone's like, hey, man, you need a bunch of chalk. I'm like, I I don't even, is that... Is that like an industrial product? Like, where, I know how to buy like a stick, but I think that's, where do you that's get my knowledge of chalk. 12 kilograms of chalk to yeah. throw in this guy. Are you just going to go to Walmart and just break the mugs up, the and chalk I, sticks and, and, and up? If I want, and if I wanted to invest, if I'm like, hey man, this chalk thing, I got to call. What's 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 chalk chalk's trading for today, Derek? What, what's this, what do I look for on, the, on that board? I don't CH, I'm not seeing chalk anywhere on I here, guys. I can't find chalk anywhere. It would be a God, it would be, this uh, is crazy. It would be like buying corn and stuff. You could buy talc. I think it, is it, it, might, be, it might be talc. It, I don't know, but man. it's not like some uncommon, Jesse. It's a mineral that like cave people could use, and they drew on walls and stuff. It's, it's not telling me where it came from or how to get it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, see, that's another. Hey, that's another conspiracy right there. What even I'm is chalk? Te- look, hey, look, look, hey, look. All right, conservative QAnon people. I was wrong, bro. No, we ran them off months ago. Don't worry. They're not listening. (laughs) Well, look. Well, look. (laughs) Baby, come back. You can't blame it all on me because you was right. This man tried to kill us, dog. <laughs> this man tried to kill us, bro. And, and here's why. Here's why I don't think it's that sinister. Because what, it, like, if people are like, no, think about it, man. This super villain. If you're watching like a James Bond movie or, yeah. or any spy movie, yeah. and they're like, hey, uh-huh. man, the villain, you got to stop him. He's got a devious plan. He's gonna, and it's like, what is he gonna do? He's gonna shoot a bunch of chalk in the air, and you're like. <laughs> That's the villain? Like, I was expecting like a biochemical or yeah. like a cool laser or something. Yeah. You're telling me he's, we got to worry about the chalk guy? Like, I don't know. <laughs> like, the chalk thing sounds mildly inconvenient. Like, it could be kind of awkward and dark and there might be like a layer of chalk later. Like, that's the worst that could happen. But what about the, yeah. sm- the poor Swedish children with asthma? What are they, yeah. what air are they supposed to breathe? No, I hear you. Come on, does, Bill Gates. Yeah, it does sound a little troubling. I don't know. I'm like, man, can we yeah. just can we just get back to recycling or whatever instead of shooting <laughs> chalk in the, I mean, can we just do the basic stuff like is this this chalk in the sky thing. I'm not gonna lie, it's it's yeah. got me kind of like, what in the world is? Are we at this? Is this the hail mary of a uh, of of clean energy? We are we are we this bad? Well, maybe we are. <laughs> they just need to. They bring let's bring LeBron out there. Just get him throwing. He throws a bunch in the air all the time. Anyway, just yeah. have LeBron walk around, chalk it up. All right, 
That'll do it for Slices. Stay tuned. Up next, it's Relevant News. Oh, oh, after coffee, sitting all alone in thought, wondering if I should give it up, move away and find a little spot on the coast. No reception and my secret goes unknown. Listening to Joy Wave. The song is After Coffee. All right, it's time for Relevant News. Please welcome to the show Relevant Senior Editor Tyler Huckabee telling us what's happening at the intersection of faith and culture this week. Hey, Tyler. Hey, everybody. So, what's going on? So, we are going to talk today. Uh, this is we're recording this on Wednesday. Uh, you're listening to this on Friday. We're still uh, are, are obviously reeling from the not one, but two mass shootings that took place in less than a week. 18 people have died. And this has obviously galvanized a very old conversation in this country around gun control. So we want to take a step back and look at some of the actual facts and some of the data on gun control and uh, what we, we nobody can forecast what's going to happen in the near future. It's a fast moving conversation, but we can give you a little bit, tell you a little bit about what we know now. Now, President Joe Biden has been in the uh, he's been in this game long enough to have really been on a lot of different sides of the gun control debate as the conversation has evolved. He's evolved along with it pretty rapidly. Um, He is called right now for some uh, fairly comprehensive gun reform measures. He said, I don't need to wait another minute, let alone an hour to take common sense steps that will save lives in the future. This is not it should not be a partisan issue. This is an American issue. It'll save lives, American lives, we have to act. Now, he has called for a ban on assault weapons and high-capacity magazines, and he wants to strengthen background checks as key to his vision for gun law reform. Now, these are going to face some kind of long odds in the in Congress, obviously. This is not going to be, no a, especially among Republicans, and, uh, and even a few Democrats are dragging their heels on these proposals. Uh, now, what's interesting, and this kind of gets lost in the conversation sometimes, these are actually fairly popular among voters voters. This is not this is not in terms of voters very contentious. It is mm-hmm. among elected leaders extremely contentious to the point of being very likely impossible in the coming weeks here unless something uh, changes, which doesn't look super super likely right now, honestly. Um, he has brought up the possibility of using an executive order to push some of these things through, but he has very limited ability to really do any, you can't just strike the second amendment through executive order, right? It, so there right. would be, he could maybe do some things in terms of strengthening background checks, which people do really want. About 60% of Americans support strengthening background checks. But in terms of limiting high capacity magazines or assault weapons, you're not going to see that happen through an executive order. That's just not legal. Although, as we learned with the last administration, sometimes things we didn't know were legal can just kind of happen anyway, and nobody knows what to do about it for a few months, but it would very likely not survive any sort of legal challenge were he to do that. Uh, so that's where things stand at the political level. And obviously, uh, like with most things, the political level isn't necessarily where the rest of us are at. I don't know what you guys are seeing in terms of your interest or, or how you're feeling about all of this, but it is interesting to know what the mechanics and the politics are. At least I think it is. Well, Cameron, you were shaking your head thinking that this would never pass. It, you it's, know, not it, going, it's not going to because any yeah. bill has to get 60 senators. Yeah. And, and, and we love our guns. That's 10 Republicans. <laughs> and there's not, nothing will happen with 10 Republicans. Zero. 
It's so frustrating because I think we have data, you know, we have clear data. Um, we can look at other countries, which I know America doesn't really like to do, but, you know, we can look around and learn from others. Um, and then it feels like, I mean, I know that my friendships can skew in a certain way, but like most people I know are for background checks, you know, sensible, like right. not like let's take all the guns away, but like, hey, let's treat this like a driver's license. Yeah, don't but, give you it know, to criminals. It's just yeah. unfortunate because our politicians are not necessarily keeping what's in the best interest of their constituents in mind they're thinking right. how do i get reelected and how do i keep nra money it's just a really broken system and it's it's frustrating i feel like we keep going around with the same thing i don't know what it will take i really don't it's just a two i think the, the environment is too partisan right now like yeah. you know when biden as a senator pushed this assault gun ban 25 years ago it was just wasn't as divided as it is now mm -hmm. there's zero mm -hmm. this is one of the issues that there will be zero cross crossing the aisle on immigration maybe other economic things maybe but not not guns and probably not abortion i mean there's, yeah, there's I, I was gonna say partisanship has really made kind of reasonable at least debate very difficult you know mm -hmm. because you see a lot of grandstanding and sort of theatrics instead of earnest what i feel like could be earnest dialogue about pretty nuanced complicated issues like mm -hmm. if 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 there is like just the the nature of our kind of modern democratic system it, which it, this isn't necessarily an indictment of it it's just the reality is that it it, it doesn't incentivize that it incentivizes polarization right if if you're run if you're an elected official that has the support of your party that is essentially funding your campaign, which is how most of these legislators get their jobs. You know, you know, there's no incentive for you to pull towards the middle at all because, you know, they want to, it's all about entrenchment into certain ideas or perception around what the implications of those ideas are. So you're just further and further incentivized to demonize your opponent and distinguish yourself even among your colleagues and when that happens it's like it just makes any sort of reasonable dialogue it takes that off the table because as soon as as soon as a, a like conservative senator you know or a lawmaker says something along the lines about discussing what you know reasonable policy on this issue would be that's going to be pulled and posted on twitter by a further you know to the fringe um outlet on their side posted to twitter and then it, you, you see this on both sides like the, uh, the people who don't kind of tow party lines get eaten by their own and it, that mm -hmm. happens on both on both sides of the which is partisanship in general and it just really made these types of discussions difficult and i think like I, but i think even with okay let's put discussion aside and just say you know we could vote on this right now like right now it could go straight to wherever we needed to get to to get it voted on. The, the, the reality of it is, is for a lot of Americans, although they are like, man, that sucks that 18 people just got killed. We're not really serious about getting rid of guns like this. This at, for the, at best is virtue signaling. Like at best, I think there's people that actually care about this. But as a collective society, I just don't think. We've it's almost like and this is going to be a very crude example, but 
using the bathroom, taking a dump, your stink doesn't smell as bad to you <laughs> as it does to the rest of the world. And I just think we're just sitting in this stink mm-hmm. and we're like, it's not that bad. Even though a guy can go mow down 10 people at the grocery store or whatever, and we'll, we'll make up an excuse. Well, if you get rid of ARs, they're going to stab people to, to death. But hey, at least they're not shooting 60 bullets a minute. Like, yeah. At least that's not happening. We're we're not serious about it though. It doesn't. It doesn't. It's not bad enough for us yet. And I, I don't. I'm like I don't know what else has to happen for us to say, all right, guys, we really got an issue with guns. Yeah. Do should we take them away? Nah. But come on, guys, we gotta lessen this. I mean, it's like literally year after year, and it's not slowing down. We're not getting more and more educated than ever, but we're not going backwards. So that means that there's a, there's a fundamental issue here. We got to get to the bottom of it if we're serious. That's a good final word. If you feel strongly about this, you know, our politicians who we're frustrated with, they're elected by us. So let your voice be heard. Speak with your vote. Put pressure on D.C. to do something about it. I mean, the power to the people, right? I mean, let's, let's try to make a difference. But yeah, this it's really frustrating. I agree with all y'all. All right. Thanks, Tyler. There's a lot more where that came from. Uh, every day we're publishing over at relevantmagazine.com. Follow us on all those socials. Um, well, it was a little heavy this week. It was a heavy news week. There's a lot of other stuff too, like Bieber stuff and, you know, all that. All that. So whatever you're into, we, we got it going. All right. Stay tuned. Up next, Dante Bo joins us. Listening to Rostam, the song is Forerunner, as in like Toyota Forerunner, is how it's called. Well, today's show is brought to you by UHSM. These days, finding affordable quality healthcare is more difficult than ever. So, if you're looking to save up to 50% off your healthcare expenses, listen up. You don't have to wait around hoping healthcare will improve in the US. Instead, join millions of Christians who are choosing health share memberships like UHSM. UHSM is a nonprofit Christian health share with the sole mission of helping you achieve your best health. Protect your health with modern health sharing from UHSM, including programs with prescription benefits from CVS Caremark, no-cost telehealth visits, and access to more than 1 million doctors and providers. Satisfy your medical needs and save up to 50% with UHSM health share. It's member-to-member health sharing, and it's awesome. See why millions are choosing this Christian alternative to traditional insurance. Ask if you qualify for UHSM membership today by calling or texting 833-367-8476. That's 833-367-8476 or 833-367-UHSM. Or visit uhsm.com slash care. That's uhsm.com slash care. Seriously, great site, great program. Incredibly impressive. Go check him out. Well, Dante Bo is a singer, songwriter, worship artist, recording artist from Atlanta. He's co-written a variety of popular songs like Maverick City, Music's Promises, and In Spite of Me featuring Sierra with Tasha Cobbs Leonard. Today, his brand new album, Circles, releases. And he sat down with us to talk about the album, talk about how art helped him grow up, 
and why he believes that music can help bring clarity to spiritually complex topics. Here's our conversation with Dante Bo. had an interesting past few years, obviously, but for a lot of people who are listening to this, reading this, they're uh, not necessarily going to know maybe your uh, your full origin story. Can you give me just kind of the like a snapshot of the background and how you got to where you're at right now? So, yeah, I was raised in a musical family, loved gospel, loved R&B and hip hop and all this stuff. Um, ultimately, um, when I was 16, I dedicated my life to God and... Um, started doing Christian music and working in studios. My mom would like just take me in, and to any audition they could take me to. Any, I did. I think I did like American Idol, like The Voice, all the stuff, I think. And uh, one time I, when I was doing American Idol, I remember when they were going to tell me whether I was going to make it on the show or not. I had like an anxiety attack because I was so nervous about it. <laughs> but um, ultimately, uh, it led me to creating my own music and that music started creating its own buzz. And um, it wasn't like this quick, obviously. Uh, there was a season where I was homeless and all the stuff. And um, But over time, I would say like 2019, I started to see like the fruit of my labor and uh, started just writing for a bunch of folks and signed my first record deal and with Bethel music and uh, started recording with Maverick and all the stuff. So yeah. <laughs> you knew you could sing, obviously you're trying out for American Idol. When did you realize that you could write too? When did write, when did you get the writing bug? Dude, you know, it's crazy because like, I feel like I've always been able to write. I was, I was diagnosed. Like I was dyslexic. Like okay. pretty much until I was 16 years old. That must have been a huge struggle. Huge struggle. Hated anything literature. So mm-hmm. like, I mean, as you could, like you probably imagine, like, I, I hated anything literature. And so I was a storyteller. I had like a huge imagination growing up. I was that one kid, like with the broomstick, like it was a sword, bro. Like, <laughs> like I, uh-huh. I'd sing into like the shampoo bottles in the shower I had a trampoline, like swing sets. Like we were just outdoorsy, like uh, country kids, me and my brother. So we had a huge imaginations and I would always like tell stories and loved, loved anything like, like that. Um, but I knew I could write, I guess, I guess I had to be like 10. It was a rap. I think I wrote for my dad and I, it was so stupid, but I remember he, he thought it was great. And so that helped me like continue to just write more. So you've got quite a bit of like encouragement creatively, right? This was not, this was not a situation where people were like your parents or your pastors, mentors, whoever were telling you like, no, you got to get back to the books. You got to study harder. Like you felt pretty encouraged. Yeah, I was, I was encouraged my whole life to be creative. And uh, I remember one time I was in kindergarten and my, my, my teacher gave me a bad grade because uh, I I was coloring outside of the lines <laughs> and my mom, I remember she like told me like, that's, that's not a bad thing. Like you should be able to color outside the lines if you want to. And so like, I, like I had those kind of parents that just, 
they they thought it was great that I was doing something creative. It was exciting for them. It gave them something to kind of hope for. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Because school, you haven't expected in kind of like you know like sure. go to college, get the job. Like it's a it's an expected end, which is still awesome. But then like with what I was doing, I think it gave them something to hope or believe in. So I'll give my heart. said at 16 is when you really dedicated your life to God. How did that come around? Yeah, like I was raised in church because of my grandparents. And so I never really had like an altar call moment or whatever. But but at 16, I um, just was in my room listening to Kiera Shear. Uh, she's a gospel artist. And I ended up just like weeping, like crying out to the Lord. I feel like that was my first like real encounter with God. But I knew like he was real. And so from the day forward, my life was like completely devoted to God and like just devoted to Jesus and his cause. So, yeah. At what point did Maverick City come into the picture for you? Okay. Yeah. Like, so there was no such thing as Maverick City. It was just a group of friends and a text message. It's like five of us. And so we were like, we should come together and write songs. So funny story. One one of the guys that was in the group text, he was like, what if I could bring my, one of my really good friends, Brandon Lake, that'd be fun. And we were like, sure, yeah, bring Brandon Lake. We don't know this guy, but just bring him. But yeah, so we all came together in Atlanta at Passion City, and we just wrote a bunch of songs, which is volume one, volume two. Was, um, and then obviously, Tasha Cobbs, this is a move. A bunch of other people's songs were written in those rooms as well. And uh, we put out that, demo-ish first volume one but before we put it out we were like we got a name or something like and uh since we were like an atlanta based thing they used to call atlanta the maverick city so we just named uh tony brown decided to name it just maverick city so we went with that and uh yeah that's how i became a part of maverick city i guess why do you think that, and after this, I do want to talk about your, your own albums coming out here, but why do you think Mav City has been so successful? Because it, it has exploded, unlike very few worship movements I've seen since I've been covering this for Relevant, have seen happen. What What's the secret sauce there? Secret sauce to Maverick City is, is different kind of people. It's like different cultures uh-huh. coming together and and writing their stories together. It's like mm-hmm. every song is like this collaborative effort to communicate maybe four or five people, whoever wrote the song, four different people's stories. And we have an Indian girl that's amazing named MJ. We have a Dominican guy, Aaron Moses. We have now a Canadian, Ryan, and, you know, black and, you know, white. And so I think that's the secret sauce is that everyone's happy i mean it was like last year when we found out we were number one in gospel on billboard and number two on contemporary christian which that had been done ever but it's because everyone feels like this is their music because it's not like necessarily pointing to one you know 
culture or, or one yeah. thing. It's like, yeah. this is for everybody. You know what I mean? So everyone can find themselves in Maverick City, and that's why it's successful. Was there, did you have like a moment when you realized like, okay, I think I'm ready to do my own thing to release a solo album. Did you have like a lightning bolt moment or was it more of a slow journey? I've I've always said I was a solo artist. Like I am a solo artist. So I'm technically signed as a solo artist. Um, And I I do collective things um, with like Bethel and with like Maverick. So I've always thought about my projects and like what I want to release as a solo artist. And um, with this specific project, I, I had two other albums before this that I threw away. So like you tossed them. I tossed them, bro. There's, we actually was just listening to the project that I was going to put out. <laughs> we were just listening to it on the road, but um, yeah, so I had two other albums that I worked super hard on with some amazing producers and I tossed him. I've only released one of those songs, and that was Be All Right. Be All Right was going to be the single of the project I was going to put out. But anyway, so I just felt like there was more to say. And I wanted to reflect, reflect the times more. And I wanted to reflect, like, you know, my culture, where I come from. Also, you know, speak into the future and, and talk about the joy and the good stuff. And sure. So, um, yeah, I got with Lael in California and we we worked on a brand new project and it took about two years to finish. And, and this is that project. So you said you wanted to speak to the times more. What do you mean by that? Well, you know, the racial tensions and uh, also how, how it's felt for me being, being a black man, you know, and uh, in the midst of all of this, not only that, but being a black man with influence everywhere in all sure. like so many different cultures. Sure. And when I say something like so many different kind of people listen. And uh, so I wanted to enlighten with my music and not just write, you know, songs that are like painting the sky with rainbows and like <laughs> all the good stuff. But I wanted to like make sure people became after they listen to this record, I hope they're more aware and they feel like, man, that was so exciting, so lighthearted. Because the album is very like rhythmic, like so much rhythm. And just like you've heard Joyful or maybe, maybe not, uh-huh. but like it's just so I was just listening to it before I call. It's lighthearted, but the message is so potent. And um and that's kind of what I want. I want people to leave or finish this album and say, Man, I'm, i feel more aware. And and just feel more, you know, uplifted, you know? Yeah. I'm gonna be joyful. Gonna be, I'm gonna be joyful. I'm gonna be joyful. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. I'm gonna be joyful. Today, today. I got the 
It sounds like what you're trying to do is is not shy away from heavy topics, uh, addiction, racial tension, etc. But you also don't want to you want the music to have that joyful sort of optimistic future casting uh, vision for it. Is it hard to navigate? That sounds like a really tough balance to get on an album. Well, you know, it's not hard for me, but because I'm a deep thinker, like I'm, I'm like. I'm like not the small talk guy. Like I literally, uh-huh. like with me and my friends, I have like, <laughs> like my, all my close friends live down the street from me. And uh, so, and they're on Maverick City too, a lot of them are, but um, we have just deep discussions naturally every day. So um, on top of that, I love music. So I write melodic, like very like, weird melodies and like just fun, like background vocal stuff and all that stuff. But my message is always going to be probably something, you know, just a little past a shallow line. Probably every, Uh. every song is going to be that way just because Uh. that's kind of how I operate. That's kind of how I think. Tell me a little bit about what joyful you were talking about joyful. Why is that the first single? You know, I, I have all these songs that do different things to, to me and to my, my label mates and like people that, that have listened to these songs with me and like helped me decide on what songs to choose. We felt like for the times that joyful was just a message that just felt like important, you know what I mean? And, um, just the choosing of joy just felt like, more relevant than no pun intended, but more relevant than than, than anything right now, and um, and so yeah, I, I went with it. And my labels, because there's some good, like that's not my best song. Like, like yeah. that, to me, that's like it's a commercial song. It's like gonna be joy, you know. But like, it was something that we just felt like this is necessary. There are other songs on here that we know people would probably like. You know, but it's like we wanted that message to be clear. And I think we wanted to just start the album off with like, you know what? This has been one crazy year, but we're going to be joyful. You're a Christian who's writing at a time where there's a lot of fear, a lot of anger, a lot of a lot of division out there. You're a black man who's making music at a time where there's enormous racial tension. It just seems to me from where I'm sitting that there'd be a lot of, you'd feel a lot of pressure. Is that something you feel like you feel like you have an obligation to audiences to say something, right? Does that enter into your framework or is that not, do I, am I reading that wrong? Is that not part of your equation as an artist? Yeah, there is a lot of pressure. And, uh, I think it's like a healthy pressure. I don't feel burdened, but I do feel like there's a weight attached to what I'm doing and what I'm saying. Being a man, like super, super close to his family, you know, my grandmother and grandfather, I know all about their journeys and I know about my great grandmother's journeys and stuff like that. And I do feel like there's an obligation there to like tell these stories like this is a part of your lineage. This is your life. If if people are buying Dante Bell music, they need to know about Dante Bell. And like, that's yeah, that's who I am. And um, so how do I do that and still keep, you know, my Brazilian fan base and my you know, Caucasian fan base and, you know, my, you know, Latin American fan base engaged. And um, 
that's just been the, the little weight that's there but I feel like it's been working and everyone's been like super excited and I feel like my supporters they support justice and um, if they don't they'll, they'll stop following me that was Dante Bo. You can check out his new album. It's called Circles, wherever you get your music. Stay tuned. Up next, it's What's Jesse Thinking? But is it time rolls by? This week on Relevant Recommends, we're recommending Lana Del Rey's new album, Chemtrails Over the Country Club. It's a very pretty album. It's warmer and it's a little more intimate than a lot of her previous work, but she still holds listeners at a slight remove. She has a very keen vision of America. Uh, she sees the current state of things better than a lot of her artistic peers do. And she's catching God out of the corner of her eye, which is a big deal. You can read our full review over at relevantmagazine.com. You're listening to Coin. The song is Sprite. To buy a Sprite in a vending machine, you usually need coins. I guess they take dollar bills too. Well, today's episode is brought to you by podcast creation platform, Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor yet, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. First of all, it's free. There are custom tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will then distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and every major platform. The cool thing is you can also make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Okay, it's time for... What's Jesse thinking? Huh? Love to have it back. We took, we took uh, two weeks off because we were doing games. But now we are back with a very special miracle expectation edition of What's Jesse Thinking? All right. So here's what I'm thinking, guys. We just need more miracles in our lives. And I'm, <laughs> thankfully, I've come to the table with I'm solution oriented. Okay? I expect them, Jesse. Yeah, we should be expecting them all the time. March Madness as an ORU fan has been so much fun. It's made me remember how much joy a miraculous sports outcome can be. Okay. It's just pure joy, pure excitement. You're witnessing, um, you know, these guys do something seemingly miraculous. So I started thinking, you know, what's some ways that we can inject some miracles just into regular sports? Because, look, you know, the reason the ORU run is so cool because this never happens. A 15 seed has never made the Sweet 16. That's like, not true. Florida Gulf Coast three years ago. They're oh, the right. only two teams. Yeah, yeah, to yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, the, the Dunk City team. Yeah. Um, but it never happens. So what if we what if we kind of seed this thing, Plant, you know? You know, this is seed faith, guys. Plant a couple seeds. <laughs> see if oh, we get no. some miracles in return. Okay, I'm. I'm. This is basic or theology. About? Yeah, it is basic or theology. So I've come up with some ways to make 
regular sports events more miraculous and fun. Some of these I know I've touched on previously, but I flushed out my list a little. I'm going to throw them out there and you tell me how much more miraculous this would make watching a regular sport. Okay. You know how they have ceremonial open pitches, opening uh, pitches in baseball where like, you know, Jimmy Carter will get out there and just throw a big meatball right down the, you know. Right. Opening pitches from here on count. Okay. If someone wants to take a former president yard <laughs> right at the beginning of the game, it happens. Expect so, a miracle. So, so baby. George Bush is throwing the opening pitch. Right now it's just a catcher and everybody yep. claps and he gets handed the yep. ball and, and then now let's start the game. You're saying a batter is there. Bryce Harper's up there, ready to crack <laughs> that thing yard. Okay. And George, and what hey. if he's what if he throws a ball? Does he get all the all the you, pitches. He has to throw a strike. He has to go until he throws a strike or, oh or makes contact with a bat. So that's one. <laughs> I'm telling you, who wouldn't watch that? Every person would that's watch true. baseball. I watch okay, that. Uh, one fan must be on the court at all times of the in the third quarter of an NBA game. Okay, either like as team, a player, as a player, they have to flip a coin <laughs> before and who in the third quarter gets a fan to come on and play. Okay, uh, for for. Each NFL team can switch out the regular football for one of those Nerf Turbo Vortexes for two plays a game. Okay, Don't throw that 400 yards. Exactly. You get two plays. You can brush out the Nerf Nerf Vortex. League, okay, this is a good one. League switch night. So send a W, the WNBA, start playing the NFL one night. Uh, NFL players, put them on ice hockey. League switch night. Every player has to switch to a different sports league to see who's the real athletes. Okay, right. it's league All switch right. night. Okay. All of America would watch. I like This that. one's easy. Fan Zamboni driver at between corners at the <laughs> hockey game. And no lessons. You can't tell them anything. You say, go out in the... Because here's the thing. The Zamboni just sliding around out there. How bad can somebody possibly get <laughs> so, so right now, the whole point of a Zamboni, I'm a Floridian, is to kind of slightly melt and smooth the Clean ice. Out the they, ice. Yeah. they do it a very methodical way. So the, the fan may be zigzagging all over the place. The players come back. They got rough patches. You're not, even, patches. You're not even allowed to tell them how, what's the gas and what's the break. You just say, go out there. And the whole crowd. But you got to remember, this is a part of the attraction. So there's music playing. Yeah. People are going crazy. There's lasers. Like the fan is just fist pumping, getting it going. Everyone would love it. All right. I don't like hockey. I'd go just for that. I wouldn't. Fan Zamboni drivers. Okay. Uh, Okay. Here's one. This applies to any sport. No uniforms. Disguises encouraged. That could be kind of fun. Okay. Uh, (laughs) Wait, wait, wait. Please flesh that out. So when you say no uniforms, you're not talking about nude you're talking about no, they have no. to wear something they, else they have to wear something else and, and they're allowed to wear disguises if they want to what, then what can they this, tell who's on their team well they know no, the faces of, of their teammates not if you have a disguise not if i'm wearing like a james harden mask and there's two of us oh, out there so you're saying wear a disguise like you're on the other team so what? there's two james hardens be, running around you can be dressed as a coach and just pop into the game and <laughs> fire up a jump shot disguises <laughs> encourage let it be part of the strategy right. okay uh, okay, this is easy. A one-club golf tournament. It's a professional golf tournament. Everyone gets one club. Choose wisely. Um, Wait, so so if, if those big, fat wood ones that go off the tee really far... A driver. I then have to go closer with that, and I have to putt with that. that yes, one you, club you for the whole, one whole club, 18 holes. One club, whole 18. Uh, okay, here's one. A billiards tournament 
on a boat in heavy seas. So it's all rocking around out there. That's, that's no good. That, that okay. is, that's just, it all slides to one imagine, side. Imagine, imagine throw, I would throwing watch darts. Okay, how about this? How about this? You double the length of the bowling lane. That's really, that'd be really hard, man. That's a really long way to bowl it. With gutters. Let's see what these pros do it now. No, but no bumpers. It just, no yeah, bumpers. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. a very, it wow. changes the game entirely. Entirely. Um, okay. This is what I call <laughs> this is what I call the true Olympics. Okay. okay. <laughs> because look, right. everyone's excited for Olympics to come back, I guess. Does anyone care? I don't know. Maybe this was I'm it. Good. Maybe we're all are like, you know gonna, what? Are they gonna do it? Like I don't know. I, I heard they I'm were on the it. fence. Get it. Here, it. Here's my thing. Maybe everyone went through last summer and be like, hey, there's no Olympics. Yeah, you know, I didn't really miss it. It was kind of fine. Like, I'm kind of fine. But I don't anyway, know, man, summer is really rough for sports. I I I when it when it's on, I'm in. It's like March Madness. I don't normally watch college basketball, but I'm in for right well, now. Well, That's well, how I'm I am just with saying, the I'm just saying we need to bring people back. It's called the True Olympics, okay? okay? And we don't tell the athletes when they arrive at this either. When they arrive, they, you know, they've been training for years, right? Their whole life, okay? They find out that this year at the Olympics, it's actually to see who's what country has the best overall athletes. That means when they arrive, they are randomly assigned a new sport. Okay, so you could have you could have the the shot putter, you know, uh-huh. the, the the big shot putter high diving. Okay, you could have someone who's never done that skiing shooting gun thing. You know, all of a sudden out there with two skis on and a rifle on their back. You know who? You know who's going to crush that Olympics? Those decathletes, where they yeah. have to do like mm-hmm. ten events and they are well-rounded, versatile mm-hmm. athletes. They'll crush but, it. But, yeah, but just imagine someone from the the Olympic, you know, the dream team, right. having to go out there and 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 do a, a, a gymnastics routine. It's about mm-hmm. best overall athleticism. It's the true Olympics for true athletes. We're talking about miracles. We're going to be seeing them every night if we implement some of these changes. <laughs> so basically what you want to do to professional sports is what MTV did to professional sports in the 1990s with yeah, the Rock and Jock tournament. Awesome. People still talk about it. And the People four point shots and they had, yeah, they had like celebrities and the yeah, Rock and Jock was lit. It was lit. Rock and Jock was, was lit. Super lit. Was, why did they lit. stop it? They started doing that road rules challenge nonstop. Why don't they bring back they Rock and Jock? They should bring that back. We should start a petition. Bring Seriously. back Rock and Jock. I know. Why wouldn't they bring back Rock and Jock? Yeah. You have you seen what MTV plays now? I know we're aging ourselves. I, do, I have not. Have I you have not watched okay. MTV in years. This is the literal truth. Like, pull up a guide of a typical week of every time slot of MTV, and it is literally 98% ridiculousness. Nonstop. And then, like, a couple <sighs> of nights at 8 o'clock, they'll have one other show, but it's ridiculousness nonstop. How is that popular? Ridiculousness is a pretty good show, though. I was going to say, I I, I enjoy it. It's not an entire network's only programming good. Anyway, but but the funny thing about ridiculousness, <laughs> which by the way, for people that is the name of a show, Cameron's not just saying MTV's got ridiculousness oh, on yeah. all that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Who is this Beavis person? Yeah, but uh, <laughs> uh, uh, no. But the thing about ridiculousness, the the irony is they're just conceding YouTube is better than us. Like mm-hmm. MTV is basically like mm-hmm. look, where everyone that used to watch our channel now is just watches YouTube. YouTube. Yeah, you're so right. let's on our make, channel. Yeah. So let's just let's just make it. Let's just make a TV show that's just YouTube videos. So true. Remember when Kel Mitchell was on our show a couple months ago is because he was on that new MTV show, which was just ridiculousness, but about food. It was like food mishaps. Mm -hmm. Remember? And he was one Mm. of the guys who like said the pithy comments. But 
I think MTV needs to just bring back Rock and Jock and and do the VMAs and and we're good. Just play music yeah. videos. Just like between. five VMAs a year. That's mm-hmm. fine. You know, five we Rock don't and need... Jocks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You have the and, winter and... Rock and Jock and the summer Rock and Jock. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. No one's complaining. Everyone's loving it. I love you know? it. All right. Well, that'll do it for. What's Jesse thinking? Huh? The expect a miracle edition. Uh, y'all go watch watch uh, basketball tomorrow night, uh, Saturday night. ORU. I'm on. I'm ORU. I'm going for ORU. Soak it in one last time. Who they playing? They're playing uh, Arkansas. If I was a coach, the first thing I would say is, you remember Florida? You remember Ohio? Do you want to be another uh-huh. head on the mantle of this team, or do you want to go ahead and knock them out like that? Yeah, you gotta you gotta lay look, in. Look, hey. I mean, I'll get off the sports thing after this, but I'm very excited. Listen, there's no more dangerous person than the one playing with house money because True. they have nothing to lose. They can play on their toes. The That's whole why time. you bet a final four bet on ORU. It was house money. You didn't care. You, exactly. And you made right. thousands right. of dollars. But, but look, one team is incentivized to play on their heels, to be True. on defense. That's Arkansas, right? Yeah, uh, the uh, other Arkansas, teams is, is Arkansas is we can't lose. Yeah. And ORU is right. like, Expect we a miracle, nothing, baby. We, and they have nothing to lose. Like, yeah. we can go out and do the just fire up shots. And if we get hot, we're going to win. We got a but banner either it, way yeah. on campus. This year is the Sweet 16 team. And that's we love it. proud it's of it forever and ever. You know what I mean? So, that's like, dope. you're right. They have, they're Kevin, playing house you're right, money. But I bet a lot of money on the final four. So, <laughs> let's make it happen, ORU. Can you cash out early? If they win, if they win the next game, I could, I'll get, I could, I could get, I could take a lower buyout and and, and cash out. I could take, and it. hey, okay. that would that would be your fifty dollars fine uh, scholarship. That would be mm-hmm. enough mm-hmm. to get it started. You could invest that money into some real estate deals and make it larger, and that could be your endowment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I learned from the LDS. <laughs> It's a good business model. The Jesse Carey Degenerates Fund. It'd be right there. Very proud. Very proud. Yeah, but Degenerates on a Christian campus is just kind of like the kid who, you know, like it's Christian rebelling. It's not like real degenerate. Yeah. Anyway, it's uh, yeah. It's like it's like it's it's the Christian college equivalent of having like a a Mike's Hard Lemonade snuck under the bed. You know, like it's it's not that. You know, who cares? It'll be fine. Well, before we say goodbye, I want to remind you to go check out the new issue of Relevant. It's out now. The March April issue, issue one hundred five, features our favorites Johnny Swim on the cover. We also have great features with uh, comedian Nate Bargatze, whose new Netflix special is out now, and you should absolutely watch it. It's hilarious. Hillsong United's Taya, Lakeith Stanfield, who's been nominated for an Oscar. Uh, we have think pieces on climate change, gender equality in the church, um, uh, a conversation with Rachel Den Hollander about um, sexual abuse in the church. There's a lot of hard-hitting issues, entertaining issues, uh, great conversations and the brand new issue of relevant. It's out now. And guess what? It's free. It's presented not only free, but ad free because it's been sponsored by our friends at UHSM. So go check it out. It's available right now. Relevantmagazine.com. Click on the magazine tab right there. March, April issue of relevant. Also, while you're there, uh, check out our new Friday feature relevant recommends. It's this week's uh, selections and a lot more. And then also, uh, sign up for the brand new Deeper Walk Daily Devotional Newsletter. It's also a daily podcast that you can get wherever you get your podcasts. Deeper Walk, it's right there in the God section or the faith section. And also on the main page, you can sign up, uh, keep in the know, sign up for the Relevant Today newsletter. It's our top five trending articles in your inbox every morning. 
Relevant Today. Man, a lot going on, and I can't wait to tell you what's coming around the corner. We got a lot in motion at Relevant. Okay, well, on that note, we'll wrap it up. I'm Cameron Strang. I'm Jesse Carey. I'm Derek Miner. I'm Kristen Howerton. We will see you next Friday. Have a great week, everyone. Go over you. Thanks for listening to The Relevant Podcast. Check out our features, interviews, and news updates every day at relevantmagazine.com. And make sure to follow Relevant on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for the latest. For more great podcasts, browse the shows on the Relevant Podcast Network, which you can find at our site. And while you're there, don't miss the all-new era of Relevant Magazine. A new issue releases every other month at relevantmagazine.com. What is it going to be? The Degenerate Alumni Fund? Relevant Podcast Network.